Welcome to the Expedition Success Podcast, where we hope to elevate your mind through discussion with successful innovators, entrepreneurs, athletes, professionals, and creators on their journeys towards success. I am your host, Liam Kaufman. In part one of our talk with David Silberman, founder of Graphite RX, David talked about his unique upbringing and the initial failure he faced with starting his first company, Luxster. In today's episode, part two, David discusses how he took those lessons from Luxster to successfully start his current company, Graphite RX. I hope you enjoy hearing from David as much as we did, and without further ado, let's hop into this episode. So now I want to talk about um, your current company where you work, Graphite RX. But before we necessarily talk about what you do now and kind of how it started, um, with, you know, kind of having the failure of Luxter, you know, in your bag, metaphorically, um, like, were you not worried that, uh, that something similar to your experience with Luxter would happen with Graphite RX? Um, so, yes, um, of course, there was a concern that something similar could happen. But this time, uh, having having gone through shutting down my first startup, um, I approached things differently. Um, I was, um, you know, one is I had made a commitment to my family that I wasn't going to work on another startup idea until it was funded. Like I, I basically made a commitment that I wasn't going to stop making a salary. And so that meant that I wasn't going to go jump into something. You know, people had approached me about different things at different times. Um, you know, there's always ideas that float in your head. But I was, at that point, I was a little more conservative. So I was licking my wounds, right? So I shut down my first startup. Uh, I was licking my wounds. Um, and for me, it was, I wanted to make sure we stabilized financially, right? Before I'd ever think of doing something in entrepreneurship again. I didn't say I'll never do this again. It wasn't, wasn't that kind of experience. Uh, but it was one where I need to take a break, right? I need to take a break for, for myself, for my family, um, and to, to not even, you know, to, to not even entertain really ideas that are risky, um, that require not making a salary for a while. So that was really the, that was the big, I think that was the, that was the big part. And then, so with Graphite RX, I did feel like, um, I kind of staged things in a way that I mitigated risk. Right. One, which I didn't do with my first one. Like what I should have done with my first one was I should have been working. I should have made a salary and then validated some of these ideas, see if they if they made sense, right? And if I could pull them off, that's what I should have done on my first one. That's what I did on my second one, right? That's what I did and uh, did with Graphite RX before we got funded. And so you mentioned that you got the idea from Graphite RX from working on your first company, Luxster. Um, so where did that idea come from um, and how did you know you wanted to pursue it? Well, so I didn't get the idea while working on Luxture, but it did set in motion. Shutting down Luxture kind of set in motion uh, a few things for me. So, um, so I shut down. I shut down Luxture. Uh, it was about the same time that I finished my my MBA, uh, and um, I was looking for consulting work. So I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. I hadn't figured it out because I was so focused on my own startups. I wasn't thinking about what company do I want to work at? What's my growth trajectory at that company? So I had kind of went from being an entrepreneur and 
what I thought was going to be building a great company to now, all right, I need to make money. Um, and um, I joke and say that I was so desperate that I had no choice but to work for a drug dealer. And then that's when I was introduced to McKesson Corporation, uh, which is the largest distributor of pharmaceuticals in the U.S. Uh, at the time, they were headquartered in San Francisco, 150-year-old company, a great company. And, um, and so I, I went there initially for like a six-month uh, type consulting engagement. And that was just to kind of, again, give me six months to figure out where do I want to work when I grow up, right? Where do I want to work uh, next? And um, what happened was that the what started as six months turned into 12 months, turned into 18 months and 24 months. And so um, this was an area that I knew nothing about. I didn't know anything about drug distribution. I knew something about McKesson because in my prior company, at NDS Surgical Imaging, we, we worked on radiology. And so I had heard about McKesson, but I really didn't know anything about the company. Um, you know, there were, I think, Fortune 25 at the time. So like the least for me, and I think people say this too, like the least known large company right, in the US. Uh, you guys didn't, wouldn't necessarily know what McKesson is if you didn't look them up, but they're Fortune 20, right? Um, so the, uh, I worked with good people and the more time I spent there, the more I felt like I was having an impact. So the things I was doing, uh, I felt like it was moving the needle. Um, what I saw though, and this isn't just for about McKesson, there's two other large wholesalers, uh, pharmaceutical wholesalers in the U S it's a very complex industry. It's a complex industry with a lot of constraints and the focus tends to be on logistics, excellence in logistics, making sure we have the medications we need, right, so that we can stay healthy, uh, and um, less so about how do you adopt innovative technologies, how do you change your business model? And this is an industry that is really hard to change a business model just because of the way, because of the type of constraints. I mean, it's, a, it's over a $500 billion a year industry if you just think of, of medications. If you add medical and surgical supplies, it's well over a trillion. And so really big business, uh, big industry uh, with challenges. And um, I had, you know, the, the entrepreneur in me hadn't died uh, completely, right? So as, as I was uh, you know, supporting these businesses or involved in different projects, I was looking and saying, you know, what if we could do something different here, right? What if uh, we took an approach uh, similar to what Amazon was doing, um, not in pharmaceuticals, but more of a more of a tech-based approach, a marketplace approach, and um, and just kind of thinking thinking that through. And at about the same time, uh, I was seeing there was an increase in manufacturers who were saying, you know what, we don't the the old the old traditional model of wholesale doesn't work for us. We need something different. We need something new. And so they, they started distributing their pharmaceuticals outside of this traditional network. Um, and that created new problems, right? You try to solve one problem and then you create new problems. And, um, you know, there was also challenges around access to medications. So, you know, we live in, well, I don't know where you grew up, but, but I know where Michael did, um, right in the Bay area, we have access to care, you know, rural America, uh, access to care is very challenging and so there's a you know there's a lot of small hospitals in rural america that have shut down because they couldn't remain financially viable uh, and a lot of that has to do with their costs the cost of procedures cost of medications um, and so i looked at that and said what if what if we could leverage technology in a better way so that we can improve access 
right? So that any pharmacy in the country would be able to get the medications they need for patients. And we could do it in a way that significantly reduces the cost of distributing these medications so that we can reduce the, the cost of those drugs. What if we could do that? And then I started a journey of figuring that out, right? And, um, and for me, I did have the, the fortune this time of as I was figuring that out, I continued to consult. So I kind of maintained my promise to my family that I would, I, I would not go without a salary um, and uh, in pursuing an idea. So I was able to, to do the discovery and validation while it was still low risk, right? Sure, was, I, was, was there some costs associated with it? Was I flying around the places? Was I paying to have some things mocked up and so forth? Yes, all of that is true, but I wasn't like making the ultimate sacrifice of going all in, not making a salary and doing that. So I, I didn't, I, by the time we had raised capital, I had already validated the idea I understood the market. I knew what the needs were. Um, I knew what the constraints were. I had a good idea of what we needed to build to solve for that. So you have this huge idea and you've learned your lesson that you kind of need to validate it first and you have validated it. Um, but I think for a lot of people who want to become an entrepreneur, they have ideas and they have good business plans, but they just don't know where to start. So what were some of your first initial steps that you took to really put Graphite RX into place and to get it running? So that's where I go back to, I, I, I know you said you have good ideas and business plans and all that. Um, so most ideas, at least today, kind of in contemporary entrepreneurship, you don't need a 20 page business plan. You really don't. You actually kind of get lost in that stuff, right? Uh, you put a lot of words together. You put a lot of charts. It's all based. Most of it is based on assumptions that we make. So, you know, uh, um, a spreadsheet could withstand a lot of assumptions, right? So that's how you build a billion dollar business or whatever that is. Um, I would say that kind of back to the suggestion of Steve Blank's website and some of the resources that he has there, like really validating the idea. There's something called the, um, the, the Lean Startup uh, Business Model Canvas where it's essentially kind of nine elements, I'm not gonna get into those here, that um, that are that impact an idea, right? When you're bringing an, when you're bringing an idea to market, a product to market or building a company, and it goes into like problem, solution, uh, pricing, right? The economics of it, what's called your distribution channel. So you may have a great idea, but how are you gonna sell it? How are you gonna get it in the hands of the consumers and the businesses you wanna sell it to? And so I would just say that on, on what you had said, kind of this assumption is when to know you have validated it, you really need to go through that process. Um, I recommend to, to people, I have a friend right now who's, who's considering some ideas, is take 100 days and just go all out, right, in your validations and make sure you're talking at least one to two people, you know, a day, at least, at least midweek, right? Maybe the weekends are off. Um, and seeing, does this idea hold water? How does it evolve um, as a result of these conversations and research and when you're talking um, to others? And then when you have that level of clarity, right, that's when, for me, I would recommend to somebody to then go and now, okay, what do you, what's your next step, right? Maybe the next step's a prototype or it's building something or it's maybe even signing a, signing a contract with someone to do something. It really depends on what your business is. Um, yeah, okay. no, thank you for that. I think that's extremely valuable because I feel like so many entrepreneurs will try to hop right into their idea, but really having that time to validate it before and take those 
100 days, as you say, and make sure that it's something that will be worthwhile, I think is extremely valuable. So like you've been talking about, obviously, it's important to get, you know, validation before you really, you know, go all in um, into into working on this company. But then also something else that you said before you quit your job, um, you also said that you gained some capital first um, and you got some funding. So how how are you able to get that funding? Because I know fund getting your hands on some funding is really hard. Um, and so how, how are you able to get that to support uh, Graphite RX in the beginning, in the very beginning? Yeah, so for me, again, my story might be a little different than the audience right, that you have for your podcast where it's you know, a younger demographic. The, I would say you know, when you're younger, you can afford to experiment right, with some things and to take some chances and risk because you, know, you don't have three kids and, and a mortgage and, and things like that. And so for me, it was different, which meant also that I went, I, I moved slower than what I would have liked to. Like, had I not had all of those constraints, I probably would have moved a bit faster in the beginning. Um, but the, so for example, because I was continuing to, to, to earn, I was able to, I had enough that I could also fund some of the development that we were doing. Right. So part of that validation. So, you know, today to get funded, to get venture funded, basically you need to have an idea that a venture capitalist understands and likes. They feel that it's a massive market, um, that you're somehow uniquely qualified uh, to to win in that market. Right. To bring that. And, you know, VCs, there's you know, a ton of podcasts around this, you know, good VCs see over a thousand thousand deals a year and so you know they're looking at pattern recognition they're they're going through these decks very quickly they're you know they have meetings they, they know what it is they're looking for but generally speaking is they're looking for a team that has a unique idea that is something that they as investors are interested in right that resonates with them that has a potential for being a massive market and that this team could execute on that right that's only when you have that can you raise capital, uh, real real capital. There's accelerators, you know, like Y Combinator, like 500 startups, and others that you could go into. There's some that are really that are affiliated with universities. I don't know what would you have at Purdue, but at Berkeley we had you know some of those too, where particularly students that you know were in school and they didn't have to worry about paying rent and all that because it was already kind of part of what they had already saved for or taken loans out on. And so you get 25 grand or 50 grand, you could do something with that, right? You can go build a prototype. You can go do something that will help you then validate. Um, so I did my version of it, which was while I was consulting, I was pursuing and doing discovery and validation. And then, um, you know, kind of had the pieces in place that we needed to raise capital. Um, happy to also talk about kind of capital raising and kind of what I found to be the most important part in, in capital raising if it's of interest. Yeah, um, I'm actually taking on a externship um, the next semester with a HP Ventures. It's a part of HP, the venture capital company. Um, I was, I'm very mm -hmm. happy that I got, got that offer and that opportunity um, and I'm excited for it. So I would definitely love to hear about that a little bit. Cool. So um, the what I learned, I'll just give you guys kind of the story behind it. So I was, so I told you I'd been doing validation and discovery for Graphite RX. Uh, at the same time, I was also testing the water uh, on seeing if I can raise capital, and I just, yeah, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't getting it done. 
right? I was pitching and people were saying, oh, nice, nice idea, interesting. And it wasn't wasn't working. And then I, I said, all right, let me kind of take it back to the garage, um, so to speak. And let me get it to the next point of validation. And then that's when I'll go out and raise capital. And at the same time, here's how things come together. Uh, I have a friend who served with me in, in, in the Israeli military who sold a company to Facebook. And I had reached out to him. We hadn't talked in years. And I, I said, hey, I'm working on something. I really want love your advice. This is a fellow entrepreneur. And so he invited me to, to the Facebook campus uh, in Menlo Park and to a nice lunch. And actually, he was really generous with his time. He gave me like his whole afternoon. And I'm talking and talking, tell him all about my idea and, and what it is and the industry and the, and the stats and all the challenges. And we even had some, some um, uh, pilot customers and and he tells me, so I'm uh, three hours into this, right? And he's like, David, he said, he said, what you're building is amazing. He says, you're, he says, you've done so much more to this point with Graphiter X than I did with my startup. So my startup, I raised, I don't remember what the numbers were, whatever, $20 million on a, um, essentially on a PowerPoint. And he says, you've validated, you, you've spent time in the industry, you've seen the pain points, you've been in the belly of the beast, like all these things. He says, but you know what the difference is between me and you? And I said, no, what is it? And he said, the difference is I know how to tell a good story. And that like hit me with like a ton of bricks, right? And he says, here, let me tell you how. And then for the next two or three minutes, he pitched me Graphiter X in his own words. And I like, I wanted to join. I wanted to invest. Right? Like, <laughs> he pitched me my own company. Right? But because I was, so, I was so in the details of it, right? And you know, having spent time in the industry, and he just told a better, he had a better narrative. He didn't, when I say story, he didn't lie. There was nothing dishonest about it. It was just a better narrative. It was a more appealing narrative. It was a more energetic narrative. And so um, after thanking my friend and you know, I, I had home uh, two days later we're out on a hike in the East Bay and I tell a couple of my friends, I said, listen, guys, I need to work on my narrative, right? I talked to my friend. My friend said, I need to work on my story. I really need to work on my narrative. And so this other friend said, hey, I have a, a, a buddy of mine who I went to college with in Israel uh, and he runs a venture firm. And if I ask him for a favor to listen to your pitch, I'm sure he'll do it and he'll give you feedback. And then you can work on that into your story. So he makes the introduction. Two weeks later, uh, we're on a call. I'm at, I'm at a trade show. And so I'm sitting in some hall, got my laptop like I got here. And I give them my whole pitch, my whole spiel. And then at the end, you know, I take out a pad and pen like I have in my hands right now. And I said, I'm ready for your feedback. And they paused. And it was this kind of awkward pause. And I heard someone say, I like it and want to learn more. And basically, like three weeks later, we had a term sheet. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So the other lesson is at least in, in, in so in raising and first of all, I think I think narrative and story is the most important thing in anything you do, whether you're raising venture capital, whether you're pitching a podcast concept, whatever that is, right, is the storytelling aspect of what you're doing, the, your passion behind it, the why um, is really, really important in raising venture capital where you need to be able to stand out from, you know, another thousand pitches that year, it's a lot of it's about the story. Now you can have a story with no substance and that will fall. But if you have substance, right. And you add a story to it, uh, you've, 
you've increased your likelihood of success. All right. So first one is tell a good story um, around the, the why and what you're doing. And then the other is, you know, the old, uh, you know, ask me for advice and I'll give you money. Ask me for money and I'll give you advice. Right here, I really went in uh, with a, uh, um, call it a learning mindset, right? Like a curious mindset. And that's the other thing that I've, I've recommended to people who are now doing discovery is when you talk, when, when you're doing discovery, don't pitch people. Don't pitch them. There's no need to pitch them. Don't, don't go in with the goal of I want a term sheet. Go in with this is what I'm working on. This is why I'm working on it. This is why I care about it. And now, given your expertise, given what you've done, whatever that is, I'd really appreciate your feedback or suggestions. Who should I talk to next? Right. So if the goal of a meeting, of a pitch, whatever that is, is, is learning, you'll never fail. If your goal of going into a pitch is I'm going to get a term sheet at the end, you're going to fail 99 out of 100 times. And some people break after like the second or third time. But if you go in with a mindset of I'm not pitching to get a term sheet, I'm pitching to learn more, to validate my idea, to get something from this investor or this advisor um, that can help me advance my business, right, my idea, then, you know, your metrics for success, right, go up significantly. You've touched on getting your funding, the validation. Were there any initial struggles? So after you really quit your job as a consultant um, and, you know, finally went all in into GraphiteRx, what were the initial struggles that you first saw as you really got into it? Yeah, so um, talking to a founder of a company in healthcare that launched commercially during the pandemic. So there's, there's a lot of struggles to talk about. Um, first one that I had, I wouldn't necessarily call it a struggle, but I'd say the first challenge we ran into was, you know, when, you, when you're out raising capital, um, it's hard. Again, it's, you're lucky. So I, I had well over a hundred pitches before I really had raised. And again, I did it in different phases. Um, by the time I did it, like at that, after I took a break and went back at it, I told you I kind of went in for some advice and then I already had my first term sheet. But the, once it's real and now you're, now you have an investor who's, you know, putting whatever a million, million, million and a half, $2 million in your business. Now you need to be ready to go deploy it. Like you need to go spend that money wisely to advance and get to your next milestone, right? That's how it is with venture backed businesses is you go from milestone to milestone. And if you reach your milestones, you're rewarded with more capital so you can get to the next milestone, right? So you can have the kind of impact you want to have. Um, and so when we had raised, so before that we, you know, I had a small team, we were all part-time or most of us were part-time. And we we're all remote. And so when once we had raised capital, it's like, okay, we need to open an office. Like, so we can really work on this, like accelerate, move fast. And startups is all about speed, right? We needed to move fast. So the question was, how do we organize in a way that we can move as fast as possible? And so the at the time, you know, this was um, you know, kind of July, August of 2019. And my thought was best way to move forward fast is have us all in a room together, right? Um, Again, this is pre-pandemic where we all have, we were all in our own rooms, and um, and the Bay Area for us and our business was not the best place to do that. Bay Area is a great place if you're building a company that's deep tech, 
right? I think there's probably not a lot of places better than the Bay Area if you're, if you're doing deep tech. If you're not doing deep tech, if you're using technology for novel businesses, you know, if you're in healthcare, you don't, the, the, the advantage, there aren't necessarily strong advantages of the Bay Area. If any, there may be some disadvantages because, you know, I wanted to hire the best talent on the planet. Well, a lot of the best talent on the planet in the Bay Area were going to Google, into Twitter, into Facebook because they're making half a million dollars a year, you know, kind of right out of school. And like it was, it's a hard place to get a talent, you know, a grade talent uh, with a seed stage startups uh, compensation. So I was looking at other markets, I was looking at like Boulder and Austin and Dallas and, uh, and Nashville. And um, because one of our design partners, uh, was in Nashville. I had been coming to Nashville every three to four months and was spending time here, really liked it. Um, you know, I knew of Nashville being music city, right? Country music, music city. Uh, I didn't at the time know that Nashville's largest industry is actually healthcare. So wow. like, you know, two, two of the five largest health systems in the country have a, um, are headquartered here. You have two of the three large wholesalers have oper- um, pharmaceutical wholesalers have operations here. There's just, there's a, there's a nexus. So this is a healthcare town through and through. And there's also a health tech uh, industry that had, had, had developed. And then that was just developing into just kind of a broader tech industry. So basically Nashville was feeling like what Austin was 10 years ago, right? And, and you, you read about Austin now and companies moving there and Tesla now moving there, right? So, you know, it, it's, Austin's definitely a hotbed for talent. So long story short of that is when we need to decide where we're setting up shop, I couldn't do it where my home was, right? I couldn't do it in the Bay Area where we had spent our, you know, our lives, where we had, you know, friends and family, uh, and so I had to find another place, decided on Nashville and decided I was just going to go back and forth, you know, a week here, a week on the road, a week at home. Um, and then, um, and that worked fine. Uh, it was, it was okay. It was, wasn't easy, uh, but, but it, it worked fine. And then um, a tornado hit Nashville in March, uh, hit our office, direct hit. Um, so our office uh, was, um, was, was impacted uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't destroyed, but it took on a lot of water. And then that's also when coronavirus really started, uh, started up. And then in California, we sheltered in place. So basically I had opened an office in September, 2019 by March of 2020, that office was shut down. Uh, we were all remote, uh, at that point. And then, um, and then the, some of the VCs were sending out to their portfolio companies memos basically saying winter's coming. You've got to now assess your business. You've got to assess your assumptions, uh, your model, your budget, right? Take a, uh, adopt a mindset of scarcity, right? Uh, and seeing how do you, how do we ride this thing out that we had no idea what it was going to be, right? At the time, we, we also didn't know the concern was that we would, we would go into a recession, right? A global recession, which hasn't happened. Um, so that, that, had me concerned that we wouldn't, you know, we need to stretch our budget. I won't be able to fly back and forth. It doesn't make sense for the CEO to be living in Bay area, uh, running a company that's in Nashville. So that's when um, my wife and I made the tough decision to, um, from a family perspective, to move to Nashville. We moved here in July of um, July of last year. 
um, of 2020. And we've been here since. Uh, it's been a great move. Nashville's a great town. Um, good people. Um, very conducive to, to business and startups. Um, growing really fast. Amazon is building a build, is building a center of excellence here. Um, Oracle announced a couple months ago that they were establishing a location and they're going to um, hire 8,500 people. Um, and we're seeing more startups also either moving here um, or launching here, which is pretty cool as well. So that's kind of the Nashville part of the story. And you talk about having those two crazy events kind of happen simultaneously. Um, and that can really make it hard for any company to survive. And I know like so many companies during the coronavirus pandemic in the heat of it weren't able to get through it. So how is your company able to adapt and kind of stay lean and be able to get through those challenges? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a good question because the, uh, you know, for us launching during the pandemic is challenging. So we never really talked about what GraphiteRx is. So GraphiteRx is a, is a marketplace platform for pharmaceuticals and medical supplies. And so you can think of it as like what an Amazon would be, but for, for medications and supplies, uh, but we don't sell to consumers. We sell uh, or we don't sell, we help facilitate how um, pharmacies and health systems purchase their medications from uh, manufacturers and other distributors. And so with hospitals being our, um, our target customer market, hospitals took a beating um, with, with, the, uh, with COVID. So initially, it was uh, people were sick and in hospitals and needed to be intubated. And there wasn't, enough, uh, there wasn't enough medications to facilitate that, right? So first, it was the first wave of COVID, as we call it, was actually dealing with drug shortages, right? Because planes stopped coming in, ships stopped coming in from, uh, particularly from Asia. So we had our shortages. And then once we started getting over that and we were kind of into the summer and then starting into the fall, the, um, the vaccine was approved. And so a lot of the hospitals in our country um, were responsible for vaccine distribution in their areas or their state or their regions. So now you had pharmacies. First, they were dealing with drug shortages to make sure that patients had what they needed. And, and then it was getting the vaccine distributed very fast right, to, to, to all of us uh, that needed it. And then we started doing okay there, right? There was, uh, people were getting vaccinated and then, uh, and we thought it was gonna be better and then Delta, right? Variant started and then again. And so basically hospitals um, and, and also pharmacies within the hospitals just hit really hard over the last 19 months. And these are the folks we're selling into, right? These are the ones that we're persuading to use our technology um, in, in, uh, in managing their, their pharmacy purchasing. So it's really hard to sell to a customer who feels like they haven't, they're, they're constantly trying to come up for air. Right? Mm -hmm. So that was, I'd say that's, that's what we had struggled with. Obviously our struggles were, were much less than the struggles of our customers, uh, and the patients that they were serving, but it was tough. It was tough because we had plans. We had plans on how, how many hospitals we'd be in within five months and 10 months and 15 months. And, uh, and it was, it was hard. It was harder. The, the adoption, um, took longer. Um, and then, you know, as a startup, it's, it, you don't really have a, you don't have a crystal ball. You have no idea what's going to happen 10 months from now. So if you understaff, under resource, you won't be able to capitalize on the opportunities you have, right? If you over-resource, then you're going to run out of money, 
right? Before you have the validation, I, I was talking about the milestones, right? The milestones for that next fundraising. So if we don't reach what we need to hit the next milestones and we run out of cash before then we're done, right? So I think for us, I think your question was, you know, how do we get through it? I think we were fortunate enough to still be in the beginning of our journey where our spend and, you know, and, and, you know, cash, we were able to, to conserve some cash during that time and, and spend our, our, our funding, our venture funding, you know, wisely and stretch that out. So our, our, our costs weren't too high. Um, flip side, had we been in market, let's say for a year, maybe we would already had a customer base that would have allowed us to spend even more. So, you know, it's hard to sell. And, and that tends to fluctuate, right? Um, that tends to fluctuate quite a bit. So you've talked about some of the initial steps of starting Graphite RX, but what does your actual day-to-day work kind of look like? And what are you doing to kind of facilitate the company? Sure. So it's, uh, you know, it changes uh, depending on kind of the stage of the company. Uh, and as we have more resources, but I would say generally about 25% of my time is spent uh, working with our product and technology team. So product design and engineering on our, our software product. Uh, another 25% of my time is spent on new customer acquisition. So working with our growth team and our strategies there. And I'd say the remaining 50% um, can, can fluctuate. Um, some of that is spent on, um, you know, obviously working with the team and some of our OKRs, uh, objectives and key results and tracking those, um, as well as uh, fundraising. So when you're a venture back company, uh, you never really stop fundraising. Uh, you're always doing it just depending on how much time, it just depends how much time is spent on it. Uh, so staying in touch with uh, not only our existing investors, but also with prospective investors. And, and then I'd say the last part uh, is hiring. So you're always hiring. Uh, whether you have a role open or not, so you're out, uh, you're networking. Um, you know, I may be talking to somebody who I'd be interested in hiring a year from now. And so part of it is also making sure that that we have a uh, a good funnel for for our team that we're hiring. And you know, typically, uh, what we look for uh, in candidates is um, they have to have high integrity. That's number one. Right? Integrity. Uh, if there's anything that comes up in the process that there's a question around integrity, they're not, they're not the right uh, person for us. Um, intelligence, right? Intelligence doesn't necessarily mean that they went to a great school. There's intelligence uh, of people who also didn't graduate high school, uh, but they have, they have intelligence. They have a, um, a sense of curiosity, right? Is really important. Um, I think it's important anywhere you go, but especially at, at a company um, that's, that's a startup. Uh, and then they need to be self-starters, right? Somebody who doesn't uh, need to be told what to do, right? They want to figure that out. Um, you know, they'll take guidance, uh, but they're able to to be industrious. Uh, and then, um, you know, a passion for wanting to make healthcare better. Right? For us, that's uh, that's really important. So that's uh, that's typically what we look for. Obviously, depending on the role, it could be that you know there's um, you know, there's aptitude, attitude, and cultural fit. And so the, um, you know, the aptitude depends on the role, whether they're in engineering and product and customer support, customer success and sales. Uh, but the attitude and cultural fit uh, is, is very critical. And going along with all those things you look for, um, for like students or younger people applying to the company, 
Um, what are you, are you actually looking at their resume to see, oh, they have this experience and this is how they show these, these morals or that strong integrity that you speak of? Or is it more of actually getting to know them and talking to them and just seeing it in the conversations you have when they're applying? Yeah, so a resume, um, you know, we do ask that when, when people apply that in addition to a resume, they at least include a cover note uh, or a cover letter. It doesn't have to be formal of really, you know, why are they interested uh, in Graphite or X? Um, but the, you know, the resume gives us uh, uh, the ability to, you know, so I, I mentioned you know, aptitude, attitude, and cultural fit. So for the um, the aptitude is you could see some of that in the resume. What are their experiences? What have they done? Right? How does that fit what we're looking for? Um, attitude and cultural fit you won't know until you talk to someone. Or you can make some assumptions potentially, but you got to be careful with those because we all have biases, right? Um, and uh, just because somebody was at another startup doesn't mean that they'd fit great in our startup. Um, it could be somebody who wasn't in a startup and just because they, they don't have startup experience doesn't mean that they won't fit. Um, so that we try to do really in, 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 as part of the interview process and talking with them and asking questions and hearing what it is that they're excited about, their experience, uh, and seeing if it's a good fit for us. Got it. Um, so I know you mentioned that there's kind of an entrepreneurial memo that you would give to to any young person who looks to start their own company um could you tell us about that a little bit sure well even before that i think it's the um when i'm so i obviously interview um folks who are early in their careers uh, i would say that for college students um you know you do have your summers you have the ability you know to stand out today i think having an internship Right. Having something unique um, is makes a difference because just having pedigree right, of a good school in and of itself isn't isn't enough to stand out at great places. But showing having you know, experiences that not only appear on your resume, but you can speak about those. Right. You spent you know, it doesn't have to be in a company. It could be that you spent you know, a, a semester in South America building homes for people who don't have them. But just having things beyond what you do in your studies, or if it is your studies, something that's interesting to, to talk about, again, back to that narrative, like what's your story, right? And for your story to be unique and to stand out, um, I think is, is meaningful. So just kind of coming, if you have the ability coming out of college to be able to already have some experiences um, that could be relevant for um, either about who you are and uh, and, and what it is that you're excited about. And if it could be relevant to that company, that's even, that's even better. Um, the other thing I, I do say to, to folks that are early in their career is, you know, I, my best advice, putting GraphiteRx aside, my best advice is uh, to optimize on growth. So kind of take the first eight to 10 years of your career. You know, people sometimes want to optimize on money. Where can I make more money? Where can I get greater salary and all that? It's, I would say, where can you grow the fastest, right? That's, that is valuable because there's, there's years of making money. There's also ways to accelerate how you make money and, and, and how you move ahead and how you buy a home and, and those kinds of things. But finding the kinds of places where you can accelerate your growth and, Sometimes those could be in a startup and sometimes it's in a larger company. So, you know, I also get asked, well, what's the difference between a startup and a large company for someone who's kind of early in their career? And what happens in an early stage startup 
um, because there's not never enough people and resources to do things, you're, you're given a lot of responsibility. So kind of back to the analogy of the military, right? Like you're given a lot of responsibility early in your career, as long as you can handle it, right? And the more you can handle, like the more you're given. The downside is you may not have the mentorship you need in terms of the domain that you're that you're developing in. You may or may not, right? It depends. It's something yeah. you need to ask and, and find out. So for example, if you want to get into product management or design, if there isn't a senior designer on the team or if there isn't a senior product manager on that can kind of really mentor you and show you the ropes from a professional perspective, that's great that you're a smart person and you're going in and now you became the first product person or the first customer success person. But you do want to have you know, some money kind of showing you the ropes and that's where larger companies can be great. Like a place like Google or, or Facebook um, and, and other companies that are farther along is you also have that mentorship. So you, you won't be given necessarily the same type of opportunities uh, with these different responsibilities because these are bigger companies, but you can go much deeper, right, in your from a domain perspective. So I think that's the, that's the thing to consider when you, if you have an offer from a Google or from an early stage startup uh, and you need to decide it's not the money. Um, because the money, the money will come when the time comes. Uh, I think it's where do you feel that you could grow the most based on where you want to go? Yeah. So now you've touched on pretty much everything that we've wanted to talk about. And now the last question I have for you, it's, it's something that we ask everybody that we have on the show, um, on the podcast, we, we ask them what their why is. Now I know you've shared that with us. You said that, you know, you really wanted to impact people. So now the question is so far, in your journey working with Graphite RX, have you seen this kind of come into fruition, this having an impact on people like, or do you feel like there's still more that you want to do in order to have more of an impact? Yeah, so for me, the 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 why we do, the reason I get up in the morning and, and do what I do is because I do want to have an impact on healthcare. Um, it's, um, Healthcare is a it's a tough industry uh, because it moves relatively slow. Um, it just it's one of those one of those industries. So it, it's probably going to take some time before we'll be able to really see kind of the tangible um, you know impact and, and effects of, of what it is that we do, particularly as an as an early stage startup. And so no, there's there's still plenty um, there's still plenty to be done. We're just just in the beginning um, from that perspective and. You know, I have a uh, I have a, a credo that I I think is very relevant to, to entrepreneurship, um, and you know, I call it the the three G's to glory. And the first G is you need to have the guts to go on a journey. Right. The second G is grit. So you need to have the grit, the perseverance to stay on it. And the third G is gratitude. So when, when, when you've made it to where you, you want to make it, uh, to, to be grateful to those who went on that journey with you, to, um, to those who helped enable that, to the opportunities that, that you were given. And so that's, that's for me, it's the three G's to glory, you know, guts, grit and gratitude. And, and that's, uh, that kind of ties into my why, um, and how, how I want to achieve, uh, you know, impact. For our listeners out there, please stay tuned for the next episode and feel free to reach us on expedition.success on Instagram. And if you have any questions, recommendations, 
or even if you would like to be on the podcast, please reach out on our Instagram or through our email at expedition.success.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.